What's up? It is Ryan Rosillo on the Rosillo Podcast. Shout out to all the people that were worried about the delay, uh, but we are here. And with the Monday deal, it wasn't going to be Monday, so I said, you know what, we're just going to wait and drop this. would have been better to do it yesterday. I would agree, um, but here we are. We're doing this, and by the time you get this, Hoop Streams will have started, so make sure you check Jacoby and I out through the entire NBA Finals. We will be doing our Hoop Streams Twitter feed show before every finals game and maybe even into the finals games a little bit. It's kind of a companion deal. You can just find it on my feed at Ryan A. Rosillo or Jacoby. Hoop streams again every game. I'm ironically enough flying back to Bristol, Connecticut tomorrow. What's yep. up, Bristol? What's Rosillo's up, back. Bristol? I can't wait to walk around the cafeteria and have everyone go, what, what's your deal? Didn't you like, huh? Like what, what's happening? So I, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to do that. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a massive kind of just observation thing because I'm, I'm getting some pushback from everyone that loves the diss tracks, Pusha T and Drake. I really want to hear Saruti's thoughts on that because Drake's his guy. Uh, I'm not going to say he's the homie, but they're close. So we'll do that at the end. I've got some other observations that I have. I want to do the Brian Colangelo thing. I could probably do an hour of that. But I do at least want to start with kind of how we got here, Cavs Warriors Part 4. And it's fairly obvious that if you are a fan of any of the other teams, you hate this. You're sick of it. Oh, this is so boring. It's exactly what everybody thought. Um, the last couple of years, I think I picked Cavs Warriors, and I don't deserve any credit for that. Other than this year, I go, am I really going to do it a fourth time? Like, just pick something different. And whenever I've done the, let me just try to be different and do something different, you end up just being probably even more wrong. You look back and you go, like, why did I do that? But what I do think is different about the fourth time is that there was drama in the lead-up to this. The West, we discovered there was a real challenge to them in Houston. And, you know, I know if you're a Rockets fan, I felt terrible for Chris Paul missing that game. Uh, it's very easy to say, well, if they had Chris Paul, they go ahead and they're playing for an NBA title. Okay, that's fine. I can't tell you you're wrong with that. I think even with Paul, the Warriors are winning game six at home. But the Warriors, if you've watched them closely over this stretch, they're a very, they're a very difficult team in a way. And they like to make things harder on themselves. And I do think as bad as that first half of game seven was, and you're going, is this seriously going to happen? Cause whoever gets out of this is winning a title. Like, are they really going to lose? They looked so bad in the first half. Durant was doing a bad job on closing out, reading the switch, paying attention to whatever their defensive switch rules were. He couldn't box out anybody. P.J. Tucker had a few just rebounds where he wasn't even it wasn't even Durant. Like three guys were standing there, and Tucker would go in and get a rebound. I mean, shout out to P.J. Tucker, who you just you would love even more as a player. But what we saw was without Iguodala, and even without Iguodala, that's that whole Warriors thing. If it's these three guys, you've got to win this series. They don't space you out the way the Warriors traditionally have the last few years. And when it's Green, who now can't seem to hit any threes, like he used to at least keep you honest, and now he doesn't even do that. So the Rockets kind of cracked the code a little bit in that they decided to play three guys with five players defensively because when Looney's out there, you know, Looney looks like he was never, like, he didn't know that he was allowed to put putbacks back up until like a few months ago. Like, hey, when you get the ball and you're a foot away, you're allowed to put it right back up. Um, he's terrible in that spot. Bell, who I like, but is a very specific, uh, player. If it's Bell and Looney, which they actually had a few minutes of that, like, that's another thing where you go, we, we get to ignore you. So you combine that with the Warriors having 
a change in approach without Iguodala, because Iguodala at least keeps you honest. Green declining as a shooter. Durant, who has this great opportunity against anyone. It's always a mismatch, so it's always kind of a good shot. And guess what? We love it. We love that Durant can come up with anything on his own. That was a knock on the Warriors when they blew the 3-1 lead in 2016. That Steph and Clay they weren't really shot creators in the way that... You know, the greatest players that we've seen dominate this game as perimeter players could get to the basket and find a way to make a difference. And adding Durant is now solves that problem. But then it's like, so when you go to Durant, now what? Like, that's a problem because it takes Golden State out of its flow. It's just they didn't have the spacing against Houston that they traditionally have. And the Warriors do have this weird psyche of they don't really respect anybody because they're so good. And they like to make things hard on themselves. It's almost like a buddy. If you had a buddy... That was really good looking. Girls loved him, but he had this great girlfriend and he even liked his girlfriend. He liked her a lot, but he cheats on her all the time and he just doesn't lock his phone. And you're his roommate and you go, you keep getting busted because why don't you just put a privacy code on this or stop having a preview of the text messages on the home screen? Like we can fix all this in a few settings. Like all we have to do is add a code, do all this. And your buddy goes, ah, whatever. I don't want to deal with it. And, like, he knows he's still going to get the girl back, but he deals with all this extra stuff because he just doesn't want to take the time to put in a freaking code on his phone. That's who the Warriors are as a basketball team. So they're back in this thing. I'm picking them in five or six. I'll explain that more. But on the other side with LeBron, I found this LeBron year and the Cavs interesting. They bring these pieces over. They thought the Kyrie trade was actually pretty good. At the time, when I talked to people, I go, you know, you guys probably should have done better than that. And there was pushback. No, Jay Crowder can defend multiple guys. Isaiah Thomas is a great scorer in all these different ways we can use it. We know those two dudes hated it from day one. Isaiah was weird when he was there. He started trying to show up like prison rules. Like, I'm going to show everybody that I'm the toughest guy here. And you're like, okay, that might have worked with other teams. But LeBron is on this team. So nobody wants to hear it. And he's hurt. So... He's hurt, and when he comes back, it doesn't work out. And then Jay Crowder and him start reminiscing about how great Boston is and how Stevens is a better coach than Lou. So they weren't really fitting in. And so this this Cavs team that really the greatest asset is the draft pick coming up here in June never had anything from the other pieces that they got back from Kyrie. And that's also ironic now, too, because they would love to have Jay Crowder instead of a guy who's in a Rodney Hood uniform who doesn't even get off the bench. It'd be great to have Jay Crowder for this Warrior series. He'd be perfect. That's why they brought him in. They wanted him so they'd have another guy to chase all these wing players for Golden State, and now they don't have him. But, you know, he wasn't very good when he was with Cleveland. So you can't really blame him. So we had that part of that drama. And then that they're even worse defensively this year than they were last year when they were the second-worst defensive team in in the playoffs ahead of, I believe, only Portland in 2016-17 season. So they have this battle in the first round with the Pacers. I think there's an argument to be made if, if one of those games, and granted because it's a seven-game series, it sounds fairly obvious, but there's a way the Pacers could have pulled that thing off, and they didn't because of LeBron. The Raptors next, Celtics. You know, I didn't love this Celtics team. I, I think that's well-documented on this podcast, but I loved what they did. I loved how tough they were, and it looked like if they had extended that lead in the first half that maybe we're talking about a Celtics-Warriors thing here, and I'm going, you know what? I'd still rather have LeBron, even though it's the same thing, because I just don't really think that Celtics team is all that special. Uh, and they, they couldn't hit any shots, speaking of, of Houston going through all of their stuff and missing 27 straight threes in Game 7. Can you imagine if you were an NBA analyst and you go, you know what I think is going to happen in this series? At one point, Harden's going to miss 22 threes in a row, and maybe the team collectively have missed, like, I don't know, let's say 27 three-pointers in a row. They'd go, like, go to commercial. This guy sucks. Like, get him off of TV. So, 
even though it's another rematch, it felt like it was a more dramatic path to get here. And that part of it, I thought, was more interesting. Like, we can't act like this was just wire-to-wire Cavs, Warriors, and, oh, this is so boring, and, oh, it's so predictable, and I'm hard-o college football guy, and I hate the NBA, and I dump on the NBA whenever I can, and now this is another example of why the NBA is stupid. I know it sucks for you if you're a fan of any of those other teams. I know you think it's brutal if you're a Houston fan because you want to see your – I mean, this is all obvious stuff. But the path to this story – I think was more interesting in this version of it than it's being given credit for. Can I ask you a question though? Do you think the, the Rockets are as close as that series suggested? I don't. And I don't this either. is, this is kind of my, you know, somebody's going to hear that and go, if they had Chris Paul, they win game seven. Maybe. And I can't, like I said before, I can't say that you're wrong, but I believe games are played based on score and situation. And, you know, it's kind of my 2017 thing there, right? So, so game, was it game three last year that was close and the Warriors won it and went up 3-0, right? Yeah. Can you double check that for me? I yeah. think that's right. So, and then the Cavs win game four and then it turns into, well, you know, this, this series could have been 2-2. And you go, yeah, maybe. But here's what probably happens. If the Warriors lost game three, then you have to think of the Warriors as a team that's now lost the previous game and they're going to play better in game four. When you're up 3-0, yeah, okay, we'll just go home and win in game five. And that's what happened. When you're, when you're, when it's 2-1 and you just lost, you're probably playing game four differently. If, if it's 2-1 and you just lost, then if you're up 3-0. So when I think of the Warriors, even though at times it's very weird to watch them get stuck offensively. And it happened to close game five. It happened for good chunks of game six. And it happened, they were atrocious in that first half. And then you go, oh, they're down nine. And me, who always thinks that third quarter's coming, or that three-minute flurry of jabs that it's always going to come, I just think the Warriors possess this gear that if Paul were out there, and they were making a few more shots, then the Warriors would respond to that. And I don't even mean that specific to the Warriors. Like, I think that's how football games are played. I think when a football team has a bad offense, their defense may be really good on paper and talented, but they know once they get down two or three scores, they're just not the same. So on paper, this defense may be this. I think the Denver Broncos are a good example of that. Like, people are talking about how the Denver Broncos defense is declining based on what happened this past season. And maybe it's true. Maybe it's some of the roster turnover, but it's also because Denver, the defense knew, ah, we're never scoring. We can't score. So this sucks. And, you know, you're getting a different result. So I feel like these things are always more connected than we, than we really understand. So to just say, oh, Paul's there. They lost by this many points. So give Paul 15, 20 points. There's a Rockets win. They're in the NBA finals. Done and done. I, I feel like that's a very simplistic way to look at things. Cavs were up. Five heading into the fourth quarter of game three and lost. We're down 0-3. Right, right. So they went down 0-3. But people kept trying to retroactively do this thing where when the Cavs won game four, they go, you know, they're right there in this thing. Like, nope. And then they lost in game five. So I like Golden State in five or six. I think you give LeBron a game. I think that there's a Warriors game where maybe they just screw around. Um, But... You know, whenever I try to play this game of 
well, you know, maybe they do what Houston did and they ignore Draymond and they ignore who, whatever, who's out there as a big and they do this thing where they only focus in on three players. So it's five defending three and they don't have that spacing. And, you know, they pull at Curry every time he's coming off a screen like Houston did. I mean, Houston got away with off the ball stuff. That's incredible, but it's off the ball. We don't stop and look at replays of it. We don't have announcers breaking it down like we did Harden not getting those three-point free throws. So that's why the Rockets fan, or maybe even the neutral fan, feels like the Rockets are getting screwed by the refs in some of those games. But if you watch some of the off-the-ball stuff that Steph was dealing with, you know, they don't. We, we just don't focus on any of that stuff. And you're like, does the NBA want that to keep happening? Is that what we want? Do we want that kind of physical play off the ball where guys can't get free because they're getting tackled? Or you're allowed to put your arms around a player and just piggyback him until he kind of gets closer to a ref? Because I don't think the NBA wants any of that stuff. So, you know, you might be able to get away with it because Houston just did if you're Cleveland. And then, you know, we got to start playing this game where you go, does Jeff Green get more minutes? And now all of a sudden do we like Jeff Green because he had back-to-back good games in six and seven, which I think is impossible. Not that he had a good game in the playoffs, but that it happened two important games in a row facing elimination. I wouldn't have expected that. So I'm not going to fall for this, oh, Jeff Green's awesome now thing because there's far more evidence that he's not awesome. And Jeff Green's back. Yeah, Jeff Green's back. Was Jeff Green underrated this entire time? I don't know what to expect from Love. You know, I was watching Game Five, uh, the closeout game, just below here at LA Live when I was having some food, and you know, Love had two points going into the fourth quarter. You know, and that was, you know, Game I'd Five. Say, I'll tell you that there are games when it's like, what's when it's like Kevin Love? Oh, they need this guy. Like he's he's the second best player. Like you know, what would they do without him? And then there are games where I'm like, is Kevin Love on the court? Yeah, it happens a lot. It's and really it's, weird. I don't even think it, I don't even know if it's his fault or it's just the no. scheme or it's just like LeBron the way he's playing that day, but. He either goes from vitally important to not important, and it goes game to game. Yeah, and that's the thing is I think sometimes it isn't on him, but I think there's other times where he is too passive. You know, So then you go, all right, so if you start Love and he's def- uh, defending Durant, like how do you want to do that? How many minutes is LeBron going to have on Durant? Is he going to close on Durant? And when I was watching the end of game five again, LeBron got him for some possessions, but he didn't always have him for every single possession. So do you want to put Jeff Green on him because you feel like he's more active, it can hang? Does Larry Nance get some minutes against Durant? But then you go, okay, so George Hill and JR, should that be enough defensively to stick with the guards? I mean, those guys are still all going to get their points. They're all averaging over 20 a game. For three dudes here, I think Durant's at almost thirty, Steph's at twenty-five-ish, and, and Clay's over twenty. So, you know, you can do whatever you want to slow some of those guys down. And now Iguodala's not out there to keep you honest. Like I start doing those things, going, you know, is there is there some path to this being competitive or even a Cavs win that I'm not thinking about? So I'll try to play that game. Like I'll run through different scenarios, and you go, okay, you know, the Cavs are deeper and I go wait a minute are they deeper because they keep trying to figure out who can play that game because they don't have a rotation like is that really depth or is that guessing you know (laughs) so um and LeBron is you know he is as close to perfect as we've seen in a really long time and we take it for granted but it's not enough and I also think as soon as I start doing all these things to make it complicated I go why am I making this complicated it's LeBron and I'm not sure how much I trust their second best player and I don't know if we had an hour debating who the third best player if any of us would come up with the right answer against Clay, Steph, and Durant and I think the East stinks I just do and if you look at the East and you want to get deep into the metrics It'll tell you that this Cavs team is one of the worst teams in the finals in a really long time. 
And that's why the Celtics are a game away. Like that Celtics roster is a game away from playing in the NBA Finals. So as soon as I make it complicated, I stop myself and go, stop making it complicated. This is simple. And I think, what is it, Jay Williams? Is he the only guy that you've seen pick the Cavs? Yep. Sarudi? Get up this morning. Yep. He said he's, I believe he said that he saw something. He said it's not the same Warriors team, which I, I, I sort of agree. Like there's something off. There's about some, them. yeah, there's some things that are off, but this like, Cavs team is also way worse too. Yeah, I mean that's here's here's the pro. I heard the Jay Williams quote on it, and I mean it's good for business to do that stuff. You should be the guy that decides to do it. So I'm, but you know, I'm, I guess he believes it. But as soon as he said, "Look how many more losses the Warriors have this year than last year," then he lost me because I went, "You're you're digging them for how they closed when they went seven and ten when that was, you know, yeah. and people started falling for that. Like that wasn't real. That was fake NBA results. They a bunch of their guys were hurt. So if you just start doing total losses, I was like, oh, I'm out. I'm out." Because I'm thinking, oh, is there something I'm missing here? And then it wasn't. Well, how about this angle? Did did the Rockets do anything that showed you like a blueprint for how to play or beat the Warriors? Like that the Cavs could take? Because I don't think that's even true either. No, I mean, that's what I said at the very beginning. I, I think there's something there that Houston did a really good job of of clogging things up with them. You know, like a lot of those things when they run it out to like a post-catch and, you know, they just passed the ball a hell of a lot less, and I think Houston had a lot to do with that. Like I ended up becoming a lot more impressed with what Houston has has done through this. And I know it's frustrating, and I you know, I'm not gonna say, oh, no way, they totally lose even if Chris Paul plays, but you know, I've already done that whole scenario and played all that out here on the podcast. So I'm not gonna repeat myself, but they they messed them up a little bit. And, you know, the Warriors run some of these cuts where like Steph and Clay will kind of trail one another as they cut through the middle of the paint as the ball is out to the wing, and then they'll kind of curl it. So it's it's a little bit different than just a curl off a pin down. It's they're running these two really creative, dangerous plays in the middle of your defense, and guys would help off of the non-shooters to clog that up. And I'd see times where Steph and Clay were running the same cut, and they were almost running into each other. And you're like, what the hell is this? You know? Um you know, then you get the Tristan Thompson thing, who I thought was a big part of their comeback in 2016. You know, he makes it really tough. He's It's like Verizhou back in the day. If Verizhou didn't get the rebound, he was going to make it really hard for you to still get it. And I think Thompson does some of those things. But then, you know, at certain times they bailed on Thompson. You know, Hill was an injury. Nance, I don't understand why his minutes aren't more consistent. Or maybe they just, you know, oh, he's young and we don't trust him because he traveled in the paint against the Celtics on a catch. You know, I'm like, I don't know, that's... I'd rather I'd rather have Nance's activity and you know sometimes playing a guy just north of 20 minutes means that those 20 minutes are going to be so much more impactful because he can go crazy. You know, it's almost like a closer coming in and throwing 100 instead of making him a starter throwing 93. And that's you know that's what I see out of Nance, but uh, you know when I can't name your third best player and the third best player's Clay Thompson, I can't you know, I I don't I don't know. And I, but I do think Houston, you know, showed, showed a few things there. So we'll see. We'll see how that all plays out. Rosillo! Hey guys, you know I love Dollar Shave Club and I'm not just doing it because they buy time on the podcast and they've done all the live reads. The thing is, is it's an awesome, awesome deal. Here's the deal. If you've ever showered, brush your teeth, try to make your hair look better when I used to have it, um, I've got great news for you. And hopefully all of you guys are trying to do that at some point. Dollar Shave Club has a lot of stuff to help you out. They own the bathroom. Dollar Shave Club also delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. Uh, if you need the One Wipe Charlies, I think we're back on butt wipes now with those. They're great. Great to travel with. If you want to go ahead and rock the butter to shave up 
to really get a nice moisture situation going. That's terrific. And you know what else is great about this? Like if you want to do something cool for your dad or guys usually don't buy other stuff for guys as roommates. Uh, it doesn't really happen until you get older and you start to appreciate your friends a little bit more. But like some of the women that are listening to the podcast, you know what would be a great thing to do? Go up, find the Dollar Shave Club thing that you think is cool for the guy you like or your boyfriend or somebody you're trying to impress or just friend zone. Hell, I'm friend zoned. I might get it tattooed on my arms. Uh, just go, hey, you know what? A few bucks a month. It makes it look like you've done so much more for that person. Pick out a razor, pick out some of the shave butter, pick out some of the hair stuff and throw it in a little box and you get in charge a few bucks a month and it's recurring. You don't even notice it's coming out of the bank account and you, it looks like you went out of your way to have a monthly deal sent to the guy that you care about. So Dollar Shave Club. Yes, that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel and smell your best. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, even a wipe that'll leave your tush feeling tingly clean. Obviously, I'm a big fan of their amber and lavender calming body cleanser when I'm worked up after a big game. You know I just like to calm down with some lavender. Um, you're never going to smell anything like this, and good luck finding a product at the store like this you're not going to. All the Dollar Shave Club's products are made with top-shelf ingredients that don't break your budget, and you're going to feel the difference. Plus, shipping is including with the membership. So here's the deal. A great way to try a bunch of the Dollar Shave Club's products. For just 5 bucks. you can get their Daily Essentials Starter Set. It comes with Body Cleanser, One Wipe Charlie's, Amazing Butt Wipes, their world-famous Shave Butter, and their Best Razor. That's the six-blade executive. Keep the blades coming for a few bucks a month and add in shampoo, toothpaste, or anything else you need in the bathroom. Check it out at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. Russillo! Okay, the Brian Colangelo story. This is incredible work from uh, my friend Bill Simmons over at The Ringer. Ben Dietrich, is that the name? Yeah. Trudy? Yep, Ben Dietrich. All right. So this guy gets tipped off that there's a user on Twitter that has like five different burner accounts and he believes it's Brian Colangelo. So the writer researches this a ton and lays it all out. Like, it was just, this is really well done. And I thought... Really, the most interesting point at the beginning of this story is that he finds these five accounts, goes through, looks at all these tweets, tweeting about players, suggesting Philly writers follow up on certain stories. He disses Embiid a bunch, calls Simmons the future of the team, um, gets mad about his shirt collars because Colangelo is known to wear a two-story collar, pretty aggressive stuff. But that stuff was huge back in the day. So, you know, maybe he just hasn't rotated that stuff out or maybe he's waiting to come back in. I don't know. Um, it's his look, and he's owned it for Is a that long the time. Term for it? two story collar? I've never no, I just came up. Okay, with I that. like it though. Yeah, right. Like, what do you get a ranch? High. Yeah, what do you get a ranch over there? No, no, no. We get a, we get a two story. Um, not a split level either. So then, you know, there was even the Hinky tweet where like Hinky tweets out something, and then one of these users linked to Colangelo was like, "How's it going teaching at Stanford?" And you're going, "Oh wow, this is crazy." So then. The writer alerts the Sixers, but tells him about two of the accounts. Okay. So he gets a call back and then monitors it. And then all five accounts are set to private. And I'm like, this dude, this is like, this is I mean, Watergate type deep throat. It was brilliant. Like th- th- that. It plan, was so brilliant. I want to know like who was in the room, like who decided, cause whoever decided to do that, that's the smoking gun. So. Now, and this is the dangerous thing about doing radio, right, is if that story had come out, say, before I was doing a show, okay, and you just read the ringer piece, you're like, oh, my God, Colangelo's crazy. Like, he's going to get fired. You have to fire him. And I'm never a fire guy, you know. I don't I don't like this thing where 
you know, I actually don't like really what's happening in this country here now, that we are lowering the threshold for destroying someone's career, even if they say something that seems completely ridiculous. And, you know, I'm not sticking up for individual things here, but I, I worry long term, be like, do we keep moving the threshold down of what we think is worthy of somebody having their career destroyed? Um but this would be tough. If it really is Colangelo, this is a really tough thing, I think, to say, okay, it was him. It was a mistake. You know, he, he shouldn't have been on there and he's learned from this mistake. <laughs> like, really? Like, is that what, so we're not even there yet, right? So, but if you were doing a radio show, like say I was doing back in the day and I read that story before the show, that's probably like Colangelo's going to get canned and all these different things. And then as soon as it gets to Colangelo, he denies it. He denied it in a text to somebody else. I, I think what I'd read is, quote, saying someone is out to get me. Now people started doing some detective work and looking at the timeline of when some of the tweets were sent. And apparently one of them lines up perfectly when, when his uh, media availability was there. So then it starts to become, wait a minute, is this like a Goodell's wife deal where, look, that was Goodell's wife's actual account. And you continue to sit here and go, man, I can't believe how many people do this stuff and how many times people get caught for it. But it feels like if the Sixers want to keep him, they can spin this, even if it's him, where they go, okay, this is stupid, but we don't want to get another GM. Like we want, we think you're heading in the right direction, even if you think Colangelo's taking credit now or reaping the benefits from Hinky's run, which I think is something you could do if you, if you want. I'm sure Sarudi will do that here in a second. Uh, if, if they want to keep him, this thing's going to go away and somebody else is going to get blamed for it, whether it's a wife, whether it's a kid. It's just so strange content-wise of like, would a wife do this? Would would his son do this? Or is it even more ridiculous that if you think back to who was the source, and now that source apparently remains anonymous even to the ringer, and we don't know who tipped this whole thing off, it's like, how are you able to just because you work in artificial intelligence, connect the dots of this odd string of text where you're like, or excuse me, tweets. And you go, is it really that odd? Is it really that odd that just randos out there left and right would be saying stuff? Like, how would you even find a way to collectively monitor that and monitor five accounts that have almost no following and no impact whatsoever? So what were you looking for? Or is this somebody that knows that Kalanja was running these things? Like the beginning of this story, the more I've thought about it the last couple of days, I actually think is the most interesting part now because I, I just a guy working at a company going, Oh, Hey, these things that we monitor in social media, we thought this was weird. You should look into it. That seems to be as unbelievable as any GM actually costing himself his job inventing on Twitter. So I think that talking about the source to begin with, because it was an anonymous guy and egg on Twitter, that makes me think more that it would be somebody who like who had actual information or who knew Colangelo was doing this. Because why would some random guy on Twitter who just put this together or some random guy if it was like a Reddit thread who had all these theories, why would he not want credit for that? Why would he not want credit for it? Like, wouldn't, wouldn't you, if it was some random Joe Schmo out there who unearthed this unbelievable story, why would he want to be anonymous? And my only point is, unless... It was somebody that knows Colangelo and knows he was doing this. Yeah, now he wants to. And right, so either out there. 
the thing is a total setup and Colangelo actually doesn't know what's going on and it's not a family member and this thing is like a massive conspiracy to get him out of there which I could see a real pro hinky dork doing by the way I love the the like the uh what is the artificial intelligence like angle of it too like hinky has ties to artificial intelligence yeah he invested in, in something like I yeah. love all the I don't believe it in any way shape or form it is no, my boy Sam Hinky but it's just it makes the story that much better yeah I don't think I don't think hinky would do that I just I, I just can't imagine doing that. But that's that's kind of like the beginning of my my overall thought is like I've said and you know we as talk show hosts talk about Twitter way too much um to our listeners and I think it's all made us worse at the job. You know, I, I think it was actually better when we were kind of in this vacuum, this studio and we weren't reacting to every little thing we saw. But like I look at my mentions and if there's ever anything that bothers me and for the most part I think I get it um, I don't get it nearly as bad as other people do, and I understand that. So, you know, when I think I get something like my thing is always I get mad about somebody saying I said something and they're just wrong. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And anytime anything bothers me, if I don't respond in the first five minutes, I don't care anymore. It's really funny. It's almost like being punched in the face and like a pickup hoops game inadvertently, and you want to punch somebody immediately. And then, you know, just sort of when you settle down, you go, okay, well, me punching you wouldn't have been the right thing. It was inadvertent, but I just got mad and I got seized up and my adrenaline went through the roof. And, you know, the first thing I thought of was reacting. And that's that's kind of how I look at social media. Like, rarely will I have something said to me that I it'll linger for hours. It just, it just doesn't. And so, like, it's a little lesson or a little thing that I play. Like, okay, you know what? And I respond to a little bit more just because I'm not talking that much. But then I think of... You know, Scott and I used to argue about that all the time because I felt like he was always arguing with guys constantly. And I'd be like, why would you want to spend your Saturday in your basement watching college football arguing with people all day long? But it was a lot like if you were ever around Scott, if somebody said something that was wrong, he'd be like, no, 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 that's not what's happening. Like, here, I'm going to correct you. But the person is like that other person never goes, oh, hey, great point. You're right. I have changed my mind. (laughs) No one does that. They just go, oh, you're insecure. But here's Van Pelt. Way more famous than me, more successful, and me saying, like, why do you bother with it? When I'm being a bit of a hypocrite, like, what are we keeping count? Hey, I only responded four times this month, and you responded 40, so I'm better than you. Like, that's kind of a jerk thing for me to think or do. And then the one thing I had said to Scott, I was like, if if you're mad, at, like, somebody's somebody's knocking your coverage of the British Open, like, you're overseas talking about a major, you're part of the coverage, you're on the broadcast of a major Open and you're tweeting at some guy that's mad that you stuck with Oosthuizen too long? Like, would Jim Nance ever do that? And be like, oh, the camera angle sucks on Amen's corner. And then Nance, like, in between shots at the Masters, would he go back at some dude? But here's the thing, is that everyone at whatever level of success that they're at, like, if I get mad and say something to someone, then somebody who's less successful than me probably goes, Ryan, why do you even care? Like, who cares? Why do you care? And then I'm going to Scott, like, why do you care? But if you have a president who's apparently obsessed with it, who spends his mornings by many accounts here getting up in the morning to watch television coverage of himself and then fires off tweets in retaliation of coverage that he doesn't like and to be down the middle, middle guy rye, Obama in that book Game Changer that I read that was there was a sequel to it. I forget what the Game Changer sequel was. I'll I'll look it up here. The first book Game Changer was incredible. The Sarah Palin chapter by itself is worth um is worth reading because it's so good. Um but in the in the follow up Obama and and um and Michelle Obama 
would watch coverage. And then if they didn't like something that was said, they would reach out to the producer. So my point is, is like we could sit there and go, why would Colangelo risk it all to basically vent about people still liking Hinky, Jaleel not passing a physical, the Embiid stuff, which is just, even if it's true, and back when Embiid was kind of like IG Embiid and not playing in games and missing all this time, there were rumblings around the league. They're like, you know, Embiid's talented, but he's a knucklehead. And he doesn't get it. He's out of shape and he eats bad food and he's obsessed with social media. And then guess what? He's the same freaking guy. And now he looks like one of the 10 best players in the league. And we're like, man, he's fun. He gets it. He's, he's just great. I love that guy. He's just always out there. He's eating cheeseburgers before the game, checking out a laptop, tweeting away. Oh my God, Embiid's hilarious. Like, no, no, he's, he's the same guy. He just plays now and scores a ton of points and looks like the future. So even if you wanted to get your agenda out there, if you wanted to knock these players on your own team, which is so unprofessional, this is all allegedly still here, but could you find a less effective way to do it? Because no one cared. No one picked up on any of this stuff. The Philly writers didn't really follow up. And no one, you know, if you wanted somebody to follow up on the Jalil Okafor trade that doesn't happen because he failed a physical and then you guys covered for his ass because, you know, you just did him a favor, but you resented it, obviously, because of the tweet. So you wanted the media to dig in. Tweet at Stephen A. Eric Jr. <laughs> you know, the people you went to didn't have enough juice or a big enough voice or probably like every other random thing where I'll get tweets all the time that say, oh, hey, make sure you look into this. Like I was getting a guy that was convinced, hey, Kyrie, he's getting traded to the Warriors because of this, this, and this, 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 and that, and all these different things. And I'm like, Kyrie to the Warriors? And I go, well, what does he think? Like I'm going to go on the show today and go, hey, one thing you need to start sniffing around is Kyrie to the Warriors because I saw a tweet today. Um. I don't know. What do you think, Sarudi? You think it's him? So, <laughs> I follow I, up wherever you want. There, so I have two things. At, at first, one I'll say on the question of is it him? I, I I was like, yeah, okay, it makes sense. Like he has all this information, but then on that Embiid tweet, where he, where the, I think the tweet was something to the effect of like this guy is shirtless a lot, and then it's like a wink face emoji. I just can't see Brian Colangelo. Like I know I'm. It's a stretch to say this guy even got a, got fake burner accounts and did all this stuff, but. I, for some reason, the wink face emoji just made me think there's no way that Colangelo would add a wink face emoji to that. That just seems – I know this whole story is weird, but that just seems the, like like something that could possibly not happen, right? Maybe I'm looking – maybe I'm thinking too much into that. No, um, I don't I don't think – I think there are guys that use emojis and guys that don't. Uh, yeah. I'm like, not an emoji and, guy. And even if he was on Twitter, he doesn't – he definitely doesn't strike me as an emoji guy. And no, the, no. Yeah. And the second thing is I, I'm with you. I totally, people are saying, I can't believe this happened. Like this is unbelievable. And yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's crazy to some extent, but man, dudes are insecure. Like think about like, I'm just thinking about like at work with my, with our friends, like people like to talk crap. That's what they do. That people, people don't like other people being told that they're better than you. And honestly, this guy's probably gotten in the, what, what has he been there for two years? He's yeah. probably been told how much better Sam Hinkie is for the entire two years he's been there. So I bet I get this might have been therapeutic for him if it was him in fact where he's just firing off these t- tweets defending himself on Twitter. I have no idea. I don't think it's that crazy. I think he should probably be fired if it does happen and or if it's found out that it you can't rip your own players on yeah, this. That that part because then B basically said like it would be bad if this was true.
And if yeah, you, that was a yeah. great tweet by Embiid because it was kind of backing his guy, but also giving himself no an leash. out. Yeah, right. He'd be like, "No way, this is too crazy." And you go, "Yeah, but what if it is that crazy?" So I would have probably made the mistake in the moment reading that piece, going right on the air a couple hours later, saying, "Well, look, connect all the dots here. It's him." But the more I've thought about it, I go, "Why? What's up with the source? Like, why? What's his motivation?" And you're just telling me because you. You scan activity on social media feeds yeah. that you were able to put all of this together. Even, even, um, but, but then it gets back to the whole thing. It's like the writer, which is brilliant to go, Hey, Sixers, what's up with these two accounts? I've heard they're linked to Colangelo. Oh, okay. Yeah. We'll look into it. And then all five go private. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's so honestly brilliant. And it's, it's the thing that makes, gives me the most pause about the whole story. Um, I don't – here's the thing is I went from, oh, it's him to I'm not sure. But as soon as I start going – and I but you're right. Like don't do the, oh, no one would ever do this. It can't be him thing. Because if I were a GM, I would probably have a burner account, but I would do it just to – I'd want to just see what are my players doing. I would never – I would never sit there and argue with people about me being good as a GM. Yeah, you're literally you know, just monitoring. Yeah, like I would do it to monitor stuff. If I were college, I'm sure every college football staff has guys, multiple guys that have burner accounts that sit there and pay attention to dudes on the team. Yeah, they have guys that go to bars, right? That hang out at the local, like, you know, college bar to see if their players are going there, right? Yeah, like if you have a safety and you're Georgia Tech and it's like, man, just cranked another Zan bar, you know, and you'd be like, okay, this is something we need to pay attention to, perhaps. Um, I think that's what the kids say. Uh, it's it's really weird. But, you know, like, there was a couple people that I worked with at ESPN that said, oh, you know, you should, you know, you should buy followers. And I'd go, uh, why? Why would I do that? Like, you know, just management pays attention to that stuff. And I would bet, like, I bet if I had a million or something followers, there'd be people at work that think I'm more successful. You know, I just don't tweet enough because there's days I'm like, eh, you know, I want to watch the game. I don't want to sit here. Great help off that screen, you know. <laughs> just certain days I'm like I just want to watch the game yeah great dunk hashtag warriors yeah and then you know like when something crazy happens somebody hits a last second shot like what you need me to go wow to add to it I think it's sweet um, if I don't have anything really cool to add I won't really add it but I had I had this one person that said you should make fake accounts that compliment your show and compliment segments and that I'm like hey you know I think you're a psycho now Right. Like I didn't want to say it to the person, but I go, you like you have fake compliments that you control. Like you write a compliment to yourself, log out, then log back into yours and then say, oh, thanks. Thanks for watching. That's insane. Like, I think people are kind of nuts if you have more than a few hundred thousand tweets. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. I think something's kind well, of like weird. That was I, I kind don't... of the Skip Bayless thing, too. Right. I mean, <laughs> it was probably like Fox social media people that didn't log out of his account. But like, oh, he the got Facebook in trouble thing? for it several times. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a compliment there. I, I don't even know if he did it. You know, I would be more likely to believe somebody else did it. Yeah, it's probably say, somebody hey, who had, you know, yeah. a Fox person who had his password. But still, it's like it's just a bad look. So, um, we'll see how that one plays out. But I would think to spare the embarrassment, if and if they're really happy about Colangelo and how this whole thing came together, and you know, that's the sad part of this whole deal is that Hinky was out not because he tanked, but because he was unapologetic about it. He didn't massage it. He's like, well, this is what I'm doing. Why would I tell you I'm doing anything different? And then the other owners and owners can be real 
annoying collectively, you know, when they go, oh, this guy, he's doing all these terrible things. And now our, you know, when they come into town, our, our popcorn and beer sales are down and do something about this. And yes, on its surface to say, we hope to lose every possible game. That's not good for business, but Hinky never, never massaged the message ever. So he's out. Jerry Colangelo comes in. His son has run two teams in the past. He comes in, has this deal. I, you know, if they want to keep him there, they can keep him there. Or maybe we get more information on this and we go, wow, somebody really was out to get Brian Colangelo. But the other thing, too, is if you're Brian Colangelo and you want to keep your job, you have to lie. Like, you can't admit it because then you probably, I think you would probably get fired for this. And I don't, I don't like the fire people. I don't, I don't like doing that. I think we're, we're out of control with this stuff. I've never been a moralist on the air. I've, I've just, I don't know. I think people, people make mistakes, but this is, if you're, if you're running an organization, like I can't imagine having the time, you know, imagine going, okay, I got to make sure I fire off some tweets about all the stuff I wish people knew about the team that they don't really know. And then by the way, nobody picked up on any of this stuff because it's Eric Jr. Or senior. Well, and the only way he he probably gets fired too is is if a couple things happen. If Embiid is mad enough, where he's saying, "Hey, I don't want to, I don't want this guy here," or if it impacts like other free agents who say, "Hey, I don't want to play for this guy." Yeah, and I know that that's something that's coming along. And you know, Embiid, hey, how can he trust him? Embiid signed for max money unless he gets an injury to a pre existing injury, because the way that contract works out, it ends up being pretty guaranteed. Although a lesser host may take this information and then go back to my whole I'm worried about Embiid's health and I don't know if I'd want to give him a full max contract. I think you should look into trading or seeing what the trade market would be for Embiid. I could say, hey, that's a win. I was right. But I'm not going to do that because I was I was wrong. Integrity. Unless Embiid gets hurt again because then I'll be right. Okay, let's talk diss tracks. Um, like the BDP, yeah, the BDP conflict with MC Shan. I missed that one. Um Hawk Biggie, that one probably went a little too far. Um, I was listening to Dog Pound, New York, New York. A lot of you youngsters aren't going to know that diss track. That was the Dog Pound part of the Snoop SNOOP. His his crew, I don't play basketball, I play. And that crew stomped all over buildings in this Manhattan skyline that if you watched it now, You'd be like, dude, it's pre-CGI, and it's, the video's atrocious, but it's actually a pretty good song. But that was a diss track on just the entire East Coast rap game. But it felt like back in the day, the rap beefs were not necessarily more real, although the Pac Biggie one, um, definitely some things that were higher higher stakes. But when I listened to Drake's diss a Pusha T and then Pusha T's follow-up, I feel like it's kind of this thing, like, what do you have to do today? And be like, oh, I need to go to the new sneaker store, the new Jordan 11s are dropping, and I have to cut a diss track, you know, in an hour, and then we'll send that out. So I feel like the songs themselves suck. They both aren't that good. Um, the Drake one, I don't, I don't think is that incredible by any means. And then Pusha T is using a used beat, which I, granted, if you've ever been to Jamaica, there's many a used beat down there, but like it, this is like I got a TJ Maxx tag on it because, because I thought Jay-Z, that beat was like the best thing on the new deal that he did going back to last year. So I don't, I think it's a fun thing for all of us to see Drake kind of poke holes and then Pusha T just come off the top rope, also lit on fire with the 
verbal attack that he had on him. But as far as songs, actual songs, I don't think they're great songs. And I think everybody kind of loses their mind in the moment on this stuff. Goes, oh my god! You remember the diss track to Nicki Minaj by that woman who's um, who used to be with Meek Mill or something? You remember her? Because I don't remember her, but I remember when the song came out and she did it over Ether when it was actually Ether was a great diss track by Nas because it was like real song on the album and it's incredible and it's one of the greats of all time well this female rapper used the same beat and did an ether thing on me i don't remember her name and neither do you but in the moment people were going like it can't just be this is one of the better diss tracks oh it's the best of all time male or female or you're going to forget her name in six days was it remy ma there you go go. good job it wasn't young ma though or young ma I still don't know. Is it is it Young Ma? I think it is. And then they it became Young Ma. Everybody was saying that. I've been waiting for her follow up. Definitely. Well, I, I will say this: um, these two songs. You're right. These two songs were not good songs. Thank um, you. That's all I want. Back, it's fun. I will say I loved back to back Drake's diss on Meek Mill like a couple years ago. That was a good song. I listen to that song today. It's awesome. The beat's good. good There's no chorus, but it's a great song. And like honestly, some of the diss lines were great. Like I think he said, "Is that a world tour? Your girls tour?" Talking about Nikki. Like he, it was it was a good song. That's a good line. I I will give it to Drake. Drake's always in this impossible situation. Okay, because Drake he's soft. Yeah, and well, I mean, there's you look like a weird kind of dorky kid on a high school show, you know, and um. You got to be a kid actor, and then you make that transition. So if I'm Drake, even though I'm kind of one of the top guys in the game, and you think he's number one, I will take Kendrick every single day, even though I didn't love the last Kendrick album. Uh, that's going to be like a really frustrating thing. It, it, I'm just trying to think of an analogy of it today, but it'd be like if you trained MMA and you covered it. You know, Joe Rogan trains in MMA, but I think he has so much respect from everybody that it doesn't really matter. But if you were like an MMA guy and you trained and you worked out with guys that actually fought and you never fought, that would suck. Like, you know, I, I learned a new move and my kicks are pretty good and my hands are fast, but like every one of you guys would kill me. But the thing is, is that guy, that MMA analogy I'm using, that guy's not Drake in anything. Like Drake's, from a hip-hop standpoint and his impact on all this stuff, like, dude, Pound Cake, that Wu-Tang line. Like, Pound Cake I, is my, one of my favorite songs. I love that stuff. Like, Drake's fun. Like, I tried to pretend I didn't like him for a while because, I, yeah, I thought, eh, come on, dude, are you kidding me? But that stuff comes on, maybe a goose and soda in you, and you're like, yeah, you know what? I kind of like this. I've thrown pound cake on a few times late, you know, and everybody everybody kind of enjoyed it. Tuscan leather, and, great song. Yeah, and then he started, but then he started lifting, and, he, you know, he got the biceps going. He started posting all that stuff all the time. He steps to perk like he's going to do something. And I think Drake is perpetually frustrated by that stuff because he's in this thing where, let's face it, real or not, it's cool to be tough. It's cool to be a rapper who's like actually really tough and that people would be afraid of. And nobody's ever going to be afraid of Drake, ever. So then I'm not telling you, like, Drake calls out Pusha T for not even being a real drug dealer, which is really bad. (laughs) But then Pusha T comes back with like, hey, you have a kid with a porn star that you don't even like. Here's the thing about parenthood. Um... Of my goals, I wouldn't say having a kid with a porn star I'm not going to marry would be like something I'd want to do. I wouldn't prefer that outcome. Okay. I think that's fair. I think I'm being reasonable here. Um, so, you know, for Drake to get called out on that, which is like kind of, ooh, man, like Pusha T went all the way in on him. He's still Drake. Like you're a rapper. 
And so you had a kid with a woman who wanted to keep the kid. Like, that's not the first time that kind of stuff's happened where a, ton, a dude with a ton of money is like, hey, guess what? I'm having it. And so, like, that stuff comes out and it's, like, scandalous, but he's still a rapper. This isn't, like, Drake isn't hosting Get Up tomorrow. You know, if Greeny had a kid, if there was a diss track where Greeny and I were going back and forth, and I was like, Greeny, and you have a kid with Stormy Daniels, that would be a little bit more impactful for Greeny's career path as a host of a show that's owned by Disney. That, so when, when you're calling out Drake, like, that's salacious, but at the same time, you're like, hey, speaking of kids, just a, another quick aside to this, I'm reading this book, it's... uh the cover it looks like a dollar sign MM. It stands for Sex, Money, Murder. It's about this crew in the Bronx, Soundview Housing Projects. Uh, I'm going to double-check the author here because he and I went back. Well, he didn't compliment me. I just said something nice about his book. And this book is incredible. His name's Jonathan Green. Uh, it's about as much fun as I've had reading a book in a really long time. And if anybody kind of likes the birth of, of you know, the intersection of of hip hop culture and drug dealing and then also the housing projects and the history of the housing and, and whatever side you want to take on that. It basically at the point of the book I'm at right now, a 14 year old and a 16 year old are running the top crew in this housing project and they scared the hell out of all the adults. Like the adults were so scared of these kids shooting at them at like 12 and 13 years old that they just, the adults said, we're out. You guys are nuts. Like you can have it. And so as it stands currently, these kids, like one of them's not even a teenager, and they're part of this sex money murder crew, and the whole book is about the start of it, and then I'm halfway through and kind of where it goes. And one of the kids' biological father gets out of jail and like comes back, and it says in the book, in talking about the guy who's the father coming back, and he sees his kid that's hustling, and he's he tries to be a dad, and the kid pulls a gun on his dad and is like, you're not my dad. And the kid, I think, is like 13 or 14 when he pulls a gun on him. The father says, you know, at one point my goal was to have 13 kids. And I think, you know what? Like, I want to go a handmaid's tale on you here, but like, shouldn't there just be a cap? Like, we have a salary cap. Like, couldn't there be just, like, there should be some sort of quiz for everybody. Like, oh, hey, you want to have some kids? Yeah, yeah, okay, the line's over here. We got a quiz. It's, all right, it's one question. If I tried hard enough, could I be Harry Potter? True or false? And if you say true, we're going to go, you know what? We're going to give you, like, you can have two kids. But after that, like, if you think if just, if you just worked hard enough, you could be Harry Potter, we're going to just, we don't want you having 10 kids. We want you having like two. And I'm not even talking like wealth. I'm not talking, I'm just talking like in general. I think there's, there's, there's some people out there like China back in the eighties. I remember reading about that when I was a kid. They used to give you a huge tax cut when you had one kid. There was this whole thing that was like this, political deal and people try to argue whether that was right or not and some people will listen to this and think it's absurd you should be able to have as many kids as you want i think if you think you could be a wizard in a couple weeks by just trying hard you shouldn't be allowed to have 10 kids that would be that would just be something i would reasonable yeah reasonable right i think it is i mean but you're right people are going to probably give you crap for that it's your right to have i don't know man no i I, yeah i I think why would you want to have 10 kids like you know, if you're a farmer, go for it. I don't know. But again, I'm, you know, I'm coming from the angle of trying to avoid it my whole life and, uh, you know, being annoyed that I have to fail, pay a full boat of taxes when I don't use any of the services, which there should be a discount on that. But you know why there isn't? Because all the people voting have kids. So you're very much in the minority there. Yeah, right. And that's where, 
voting in politics are screwed up. Like one of my friends made this example. He goes, why can you bottle wine and leave with it, but you can't with booze? You go, because the people, more people that are voting on this stuff, people that actually sit in seats, but we're like, oh, it'd be nice to be able to take home our Chardonnay or our Pinot if we don't finish it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, we didn't polish off that old granddad, so we'd like to leave with it. No, of course not. Um, all right. One other thing, one other observation. Bachelorette, haven't watched it, saw some of the bios. I'm pretty convinced that you just get to tell them whatever your career is. And they don't care. So, like, if I ever got on it, and I would never go on as the bachelorette, I'd go on as the main guy. But even then, it wouldn't go over very well. Um, oh, no, but you'd be way better. You'd be way better on the bachelorette as one of the guys because everybody, all the guys would like you. You know what I mean? You'd be the guy's guy. You probably wouldn't last long. I wouldn't last long because I wouldn't be like, all right, can we head out to the hammock and, you know, talk like, you know, I really bit. don't care about anything that's going on. You'd, you'd just kind of, like, pass on some dates and be super, like, dismissive of stuff. You know what would happen is I would survive long enough because I'd be mysterious. Like the girl would be annoyed that I wasn't paying any attention to her. Yeah, she hasn't her. actually gotten to know you because she yeah. can't. No, she can't. But because I'm not really that into it, then – but I got to hope I'm better looking than the bottom half, you know, and who knows. If they show up with a bunch of smoke shows in their late 20s, early 30s, I'm in trouble, you know. Um, but if it's if it's a moderate group to peaks and valleys looks-wise – you know, and I walk around my shirt off, maybe I can hang a little bit, but she'd end up liking the mysterious nature of like, that guy doesn't even care. I want what I can't have. And then she'd start talking to me and being like, did this guy get off on the wrong exit? Like, why is he even here? And then I'd, I'd be out. But I don't think I could handle, even though Chad is my favorite that was on it and a close personal friend, um, <laughs> not a close personal friend, but we had, we had a little back and forth. We had him on the show. Yeah. I haven't reached. I haven't talked to him in a long time. It's unfortunate. I wonder what he's doing. Yeah, I don't know. He tweets every now and then. I got to go check that out. That's the real Chad Johnson, not Ocho Cinco. Uh, I think we covered it all. Did you have any follow ups? No, just on the Drake thing. People are jealous. That's what it is. I think first off, Pusha T, where you been? One, I didn't even know he had a new album out. And then a lot of the points he was making, like I don't even. Yeah, you're right. I don't even care about. People are just jealous because everybody likes Drake and he's a party anthem guy. But I don't know, man. Like. He's doing this album. Pusha T's doing this album with Kanye, who also has Ghostwriters. So what? What's he knocking Drake for having Ghostwriters? Yeah, see, that's the thing about Drake, where I kind of got his whole deal. It's like, why are you messing with me, man? And like, didn't Drake help him in the beginning? I don't even know because I don't even know where Pusha T's been. I and this isn't political, but like, once I saw Pusha T like aligning himself with Hillary, I don't think he was doing it for political reasons. I think they were both doing it for the photo op, and it looked so weird that I was like, eh, I don't know. I uh I like some Pusha T stuff. I think I still like Schoolboy Q better than better than him. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I used to like Pusha T. I don't know. I just haven't I haven't listened to his stuff in so long. There was one that came out that I actually I think I was excited for, and then I went, eh, I don't even care about this anymore. So yeah, that's where we're at. But I think the Drake thing is the biggest point. Is that it's weird because the guy that's kind of dominating the thing that has the overall most popularity doesn't doesn't like fit every stereotypical mode and i imagine like even with drake's success i don't know that he has a burner account sticking be like actually drake's kind of tough like i saw a video of bieber boxing the other day and i thought his hands looked pretty good i went geez imagine if like bieber gave you the what for like imagine stepping to bieber and then bieber knocks you out like that would suck but then again like i don't you know i'm just in that world where toughness is cool to be constantly reminded that you're not tough. But I I thought I'd read something about where Drake had actually helped out Pusha T at some point. And then he's like, dude, like, 
You're coming at me if it wasn't for me, you know, whatever. And then you go, you know what? So everybody's coming out with an album. So maybe we're all morons. You know what I mean? There you go. That's an hour for you. Covered a lot of stuff. Make sure you check out Hoop Streams. I will be back in Bristol. I'll be taping this with Saruti in person. Maybe we'll get Van Pelt on for that. Uh, and go back to those monthlies with Van Pelt. It just hasn't worked out really well because our schedules are all over the place. And Scott's been working a lot. Subscribe. Tell everybody else to subscribe, even if they don't want to. <laughs>